a basket of knowledge to nurture and nourish the haora, the well-being of the community and voluntary sector. It is a collection of taonga treasures, including wānanga, podcasts and videos that will support you, your whānau and your community. Well, wasn't Zaka a ball of energy? I mean, he's a beautiful young man, um, both inside and out. Yeah, I really enjoyed his kōrero. I think that that idea of, um, you know, arriving as a migrant in New Zealand and finding your space, seeing a connection with tangata whenua, mm. seeing similarities, sitting under that, sitting mm. under titiriti and um, really finding his space here and his home here. It's a long journey for anyone arriving new. And um, Zaka just, yeah, talked as well really openly and honestly about his own ho'ora journey that he's on. You know, as he talked about in 10 years' time, I'm going to look back and see where am I at. You know, what did I sow now that I'll see in 10 years? So, yeah, enjoy. Enjoy, whānau. Ko saka toko inua, yeah. uh, no imene aho, which is Yemen. Uh, ke te noho ki, te whanganui atara. Um, two years, for two years now. Before that, I was in Otipoti for about five years. Um, came to New Zealand to do a master's in peace and conflict studies. Um, but I'm, as I said, I'm from Yemen. I grew up there, but lived in Yemen. Uh, bits and pieces, kind of like in the US and Beirut, Lebanon, before I came to Aotearoa. Yes. And the mahi that you do? I am currently the Kaifakahari Kopapa for Huie Community Aotearoa alongside my colleague Rania Ivers. Uh, previously, I was a youth engagement uh, advisor for the New Zealand Red Cross. I also worked um, with the Ministry of Education and helping young former refugees in Otago and resettlement schools and just adapting to the New Zealand education system. Um, when I'm not working, I organize music events, uh, intimate music events for charity. So it's set up in a way where we remove all the costs and um, 100% of the profit goes to the musicians and to a charity of choice. Lovely. Yes. I like how you call that not working. I <laughs> 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 that is yeah, it's it's it is it takes a lot of I think hours and logistical kind of like work which I hate by the way <laughs> and you'll get to know why um, but once the sound check starts I feel like that's the therapy that I get for free mm. so I just feel good yeah and and the types of music or is it quite eclectic all sorts so we try and make it as varied as possible and there's usually three acts but the whole thing is about respecting the music so no talking people sitting on the floor if it's a private venue people bring their own drinks and they just kind of like listen so it's not like a whoop whoop dance no. kind of sometimes it's... there will be dancing towards the end but okay. the main thing is about the listening yeah Ooh. yeah <laughs> 
I'd be challenged by that. <laughs> <laughs> Why? Because you'd want to dance. But yeah, you could yeah, sing yeah. along as well. Yeah. Yeah. You could something. <laughs> you could yeah. move from the sitting position. Or a tap or. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, of course, we're here to speak on Hora. So, in amongst your day job, plus what you do, what you perceive as not working, <laughs> which is organising the music events. How does a handsome young gentleman like yourself look after your haura, look after your well-being? It's it's a really tough question, and it's not because I'm not looking after my well-being, but mm-hmm. it's um, it's a journey. And I think yes. where I am now, which I think is a really good place, um, I'll hopefully look back in 10 years and say, um, I'm in a better place. Mm. So that's always the goal, I think. Um, mm. And like the first disclaimer, which I hope I won't repeat, is I'm going to speak from a perspective of a migrant, a person of color in New Zealand and mm. previously in the US and other places. But I also know that I am very privileged in comparing to a lot of other people mm. uh, around my circles or people that I haven't met. Um, so how I look after it currently is um, I've come to reflect and acknowledge where I'm at and that's emotionally, physically. So recognizing what I need Mm -hmm. to be okay. And that starts from eating well, which I usually get really busy that I neglect my eating. Um, Sleeping well, emotionally understanding why I'm feeling certain things and how to actually deal with it. Um, But also just the behaviors and habits, Um, I think. Changing jobs sometimes can be challenging in a way where the tasks that you need to do are different and your life changes. Um, But to just acknowledge where I'm at, why is this happening? Why is this environment stressful and what can I do about it? I think that's what has helped me really in acknowledging where I'm at. Do you have cultural practices that you follow that help to nurture? No, I I do stuff, so the music, um, I used to go for runs, which I thought was just kind of like an activity, but it does help me clear my head and kind of like slow down. Um, I catch up with a lot of people, and for me, which sometimes is a bad thing, but I'm also aware of it, but people always triumph rest. And it's because I really value the people in my life and the energy I get from them. It's, Mm. It's a healthy thing, but sometimes, not all catch-ups give you energy and it's that give and take and it's part of being a community. Sometimes your friends need from you more than they can give you. And it's acknowledging that maybe two weeks in a row I'll just be giving and giving and I will need to organize a catch-up where I'm actually taking some of that energy back. Yeah. Mm. And traveling. Yes. uh, (laughs) I looked at my Air New Zealand app um, and I just saw that I'm pretty much traveling at least twice a month. Until maybe February. And wow. yeah, um, it just happens, you know, like music events here and there, catch ups, friends, a wedding there, you know, so it's, but it's good. It's all for good occasions. Yeah. It's it's interesting because when he says that, even though he said, you know, I look at it and I'm traveling twice every month. When he looked at me, it was like this big smile, <laughs> like a smile from his heart that went up into your eyes. And I was just like, oh, that totally gives him joy. It yeah. does. And I was away for five weeks, uh, thanks to a very generous you know, work environment that we have. Um, <laughs> but I went to these most like incredible places, caught up with some friends that I haven't seen in nine or 10 years. And mm. I love traveling. Um, 
But by the last week, I was like, I am ready to go home. So like mm -hmm. as much as I love traveling and seeing people, I also like my space. And it's not necessarily Wellington. It's wherever I created that space and it's that space for now. That's I always need to go back. Um, I love traveling. That's great for my haora as well. That's why um, it, it just there's something for me about kind of picking me up and taking me out of somewhere and putting me somewhere else that uh, I just feel like I leave all the worries and cares and concerns and also often the day-to-day -day boring, you know, doing your washing, doing the dishes, stuff. blah, blah, stuff, paying the bills and uh, and just, you know, plonk me somewhere else and then it's like oh this is really exciting there's new people new experiences to be had um and it just it, it's it's like a disruptor of whatever's going mm. on so under stress actually I'm really good to just go away somewhere and then it completely disrupts what I'm doing gets me off devices gets me just out and about and it's like fresh air and it's just new exciting things that stimulate me and then I feel really kind of energized out of it but mm. also not ongoingly week after week yeah. at a certain point you're like now it's kind of nice to come home sleep in your own bed what is it about traveling that that nurtures you for you it's not so much i love exploring new places and seeing new things but that's not what drives it i think what always drove traveling has been the people i'm going to see mm. if i'm traveling for a holiday or recreationally um, so this last trip is about five weeks and every city I've seen some amazing friends that I've had for the last 15, 20 years. Some of them I haven't caught up with in a long time. So that was the main purpose of the visit. And right. then I got to see some amazing places. Only one place I went on my own, but that was also intentional because I needed time to just recharge, calm down and then back okay. to friends. Yeah. So where did you go? So, so sorry. Yeah. <laughs> where did you go? Because you. I went to Italy, um, France, Portugal, and Spain. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So you know when you're working in these spaces, you know uh, both within your mahi and within the music space, what is it that you've observed that kind of makes you think? Oh, you know about where do you feel like you know when people have conversations with you? Where is their well-being at? It's been interesting in New Zealand, and I think also more interesting because the last three years we've had a pandemic. Yes. Um, but one thing that I think is not going well is the level of resilience. And also being a migrant, someone from Yemen, um, there's war, there's a lot of things. And although all of these horrible things are happening, I feel like my resilience has been not more, but strong in a way that I am able to deal with a lot of things. And in COVID, um, I could see all around where well-being became something that's more spoken about. And mm. I think, unfortunately, it's because it affected everyone, including mm. the privilege. Mm -hmm. And that's why we had to listen. We had to make spaces in the workplace, at home, and everywhere so that we cater for these people. Whereas historically, it's always been marginalized groups, people of color who've had to go through these things. So we had to survive, otherwise we it just collapsed. And if you collapse, it's not just you. It's yes. you, your family, your friends, because we're not just individual-based um, human beings. And I think 
for me, it, there's was no alternative. If mm. I failed uni, my, my scholarships, there was no government assistance or loans. It was back home, failed university. If I failed at a job, it meant my residency was not going to get accepted. So leave New Zealand. So failure kind of like was not an option. So when I've faced with a lot of hardships, I had to overcome them because there was no other option. Whereas with privilege comes these options and then people tend to avoid that confrontation, which makes them less resilient and then well-being goes down the drain. Yeah. Mm. It's one of those moments where you want to click your fingers. Yeah, but yeah. I think it, it's, it's, it's horrible in a way that the marginalized have high resilience, but only because we haven't been looked after for the last two or three hundred years. Absolutely. And not because we're just naturally this way. Absolutely. And I think we're only now talking about it because it's affected everyone. And probably in five years, we're going to go back to the norm, which is. I um, mean, I come from a people who mm -hmm. ideally we would have been decimated. Mm -hmm. We wouldn't be existing today. You know, there was an end goal mm -hmm. of that. But we are here and we live on and we will continue to live on but the resilience that that's built up in us but it's also built and this has been actually a bit of a theme of some of the speakers today it's also built up this um, self-pressure or tribal pressure or cultural pressure you know uh, to 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 um, to do really well like to you know mm -hmm. to achieve beyond the normal sense of achievement plus the reality is we have to work harder 100 and in saying this i'm not saying oh like this is better it's yes it's still a very toxic way to live in because it's not healthy but it's made us stronger because there was no alternative there's yes. no time for you to be weak or to be vulnerable because the minute you were yes. you were stripped from your language yes. and because of your people you were stripped from your kids in mass incarceration that was targeted and racially profiled. So there was, it's a horrible thing to have to go through and it's it's um, the way we are now. Yes, it's positive, but it's, it's just not the right way. No. Yeah, and I think if people treated each other kindly, we had a great justice system and education system, we'd all be well for the good reasons and not we're well now, but for wrong reasons. And, well, yeah. we've talked a lot about today both on and off air mm. around this West, these Western constructs that do not serve us, you know. <laughs> you can talk to that if you'd like to. <laughs> we essentially decided that they were all stuffed. Yeah, yeah, we did. <laughs> yeah, and it's, I, I hate the concept and I, I hate a lot of things and Rochelle knows I have an opinion about a lot of things and it's, I think it's to do with colonization and westernization but when i speak of westernization i'm also not speaking about the west as in white people i'm speaking about a system which is capitalism that has dominated the west which in turn generally speaking it's the white people across the world and capitalism has kind of like pushed us towards that individual basis you mm -hmm. leave your home mm -hmm. when you're 18 you're on your own you got to survive you got to make the best kind of like outcomes and sometimes it means exploiting people by making products that you're tripling or like the price just so that you can make money and it's all about that rather than looking to the people around us and I think mm. and the reason I stayed in New Zealand and decided to live here was finding a space for indigenous Maori 
resistance that actually had its place and it wasn't not just a dream. In the US, you hear Black Lives Matter and the civil rights movement, which are incredible movements, but they're still fighting a long fight and it's within a system that's been designed to oppress it. Yes. Whereas here, there is that space for resistance and there is that respect for it. Mm-hmm. And you can see a very beautiful blend of what a great Western society when mixed with indigenous culture could look like. Whereas in a lot of other places, that is a very distant future that we can't even see. I find that interesting because as an as a indigenous person, I find that challenging because for us, we still don't, f- and I shouldn't speak on behalf of a lot of yeah. us, so I'll just uh-uh. speak on behalf of myself, but there's still a lot of, I mean, yes, with the, but there's still a long road to go. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah, it's, yeah. And I, there's always that saying where it's like, oh, we're doing a lot better than Australia yes, or Canada. Yes, It's not enough still, 100%. Yeah, there's so much that could be but, done. In, yeah. But then you also have the view, sorry, Rochelle. Yeah. <laughs> then you, you also. Can talk amongst yourself. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> I'll just sit here quietly. <laughs> but then you also have a view of, you know, an immigrant, of being an immigrant. So I grew up in Melbourne in uh, a classroom of uh, Chinese, Lebanese, Egyptian, Italian, Yugoslavian, which then became Macedonian, Serbian, Croatian classroom. So I was in a class full of children of Greek, Vietnamese, of such diverse cultures. But the thing, the... um, and then, you know, there's this new wave of immigration, uh, and I don't know, you can correct me, where people have come from really worn, torn, really uh, decimated kind of countries. Um, as someone I work with um, from a country where their father was a professor at university, they were Christian, uh, they were, he was kidnapped. They were held to ransom. They paid the ransom and then had 25 hours, 24 hours to leave the country or be executed. Mm. Um, and you just think, what? What? That is just crazy for us to think about. So, yeah, it, and I mean, I'm sure you have your own story, but, you know, what are some of the challenges that you've faced as a as an immigrant in this country with regards to your well-being and your whole order and, and just living, existing and breathing? I think I, and back to that privilege side, um, I've had it easy because I can still blend in. Mm. Um, having said that though, if I end up having kids in this country and they are, they've become great grandparents, their grandchildren, even though they speak fluently, they have that Kiwi accent, they might still be asked, where are you from? Mm. And comparing to um, someone from the Czech Republic or Mm. Croatia, who in that same generation, just because they have the Kiwi accent, they're Kiwi. And it's just that whiteness of what defines being a New Zealander. And I think that is something that I'm aware of. But in saying this too, I'm... I think every country has its racism, discrimination, and like there's no country that's exempt from it. It's just how are we dealing with it right here, right now? And Mm -hmm. I sometimes train young people on ways to give feedback around discrimination and racism and all of that and great workshops 
great feedback. But then I find myself in a situation where I turn around and for the next four hours, I'm like, why did I not say something? Mm. And it's that you always go into that shock sometimes where you're like, I wasn't expecting that to be racism, but upon reflection, it is. What mm. can I do now? And all of that. And that has an impact on your well-being. Um, I, like if people can't see, but there's curly hair, which I always used to have short hair. Like, this is the first time I grew my hair, which was New Zealand the last six years. And I didn't know how to take care of it at first because we're never taught how to take care of curly hair. Uh, two, um, we're taught even back home to that curly hair and long hair is not tidy because tidy is straight hair. And that is a Western point of view that's enforced on us. And that's let alone like the whole colorism and all of that. But then what that means that every time I walk into a cafe, I get looked at twice or three times or four times. And it's not malicious in any way, but no one else does. So mm-hmm. I'm even though I'm not expressing it verbally, mm-hmm. I'm aware of it. And it goes into that well-being of how much capacity can I take on for this day? And it just adds to that, let alone the people wanting to touch my hair, the people who ask sometimes and get annoyed when I say no, or the people who just touch it without asking and you've got to explain to them why it's you know so I am you know uh, Māori live with that kind of thing every day you know as you do every day so often because as a person of privilege in terms of perhaps my colour and that I look perhaps a little bit more European uh, you know in this stereotype kind of Mm -hmm imagery but versus my cousins who may look more Māori whatever that's supposed to mean but every day the a cousin a friend of indigenous descent of Aotearoa will encounter something that reminds them or they racially profiled or that happened to two of my sons actually they just both, one's 29, one's 18, uh, 19, they went to go and buy a bottle of alcohol and they were, in the end, they just left because this lady was just like, yeah, clearly racist. And I just, I was, my son who was born and brought up in Melbourne just could not believe it. He was just mm-hmm. astounded that this happened in Aotearoa and he'd been here for a day. And so, you know, every day people are encountering that. So, when you talk about that, while I may not encounter that, I definitely know that someone, yeah, close to me is always. Also, you are in many other avenues, like uh, Rochelle and yourself, woman. So yes, we there are like levels of being facing that discrimination or racism that affects your well-being, and it's being kind of like gaslit by the system rather than by one person. So as much as I might face you as women, the minute you speak up, it's the angry woman or the aggressive woman. Yes. Especially then Maori Pacifica woman who people would then refuse to engage with and that loses them career opportunities. It loses them uh, friendships, networking, and, and it's not necessarily one direct comment or an act of racism, but it's one that's followed by 100 others that does not just affect that person's well-being on that day, but 
their life opportunities yes. from bank loans, from jobs, from interviews, from networking with others. And it's, yeah, it's there's that Maori, there's that brown Pacifica, and then there's woman who's Maori, brown Pacifica, or just woman. And then yeah. even immigrants. 100%, yeah. Immigrants too, yeah. you know? So I know we're talking, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm loving this kōrero. But I'm going to ask a question because mm -hmm. I asked it before, but I kind of want to go a bit deeper. Oh, well, we asked yeah. it before and you said, oh, I do music. That That's mm -hmm. how I keep myself well. No, there's more to it than that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what do you actually do for you? Like if you didn't do music, like taking away the music, taking away the work, what do you actually do for you? Oof. Uh <laughs> Know, and that's pause. also not listening to music. Okay. Um, <laughs> oh, no, no, no. You can okay. listen, you to, can listen. Yeah. You can um, listen, listen to music. Listening to music. Well, I mean, what yeah. do you do for yeah. you, for your haora? So you've got, um, like, you've talked about lots of external things, about mm -hmm. the things that you do. Like when it's just like yeah. on its own, what do you do for your well-being? Ooh. Time by myself. Listening to music reflecting sometimes by myself or with people and one thing I'm committed to doing this year but it's also a very privileged thing to do I think in New Zealand and elsewhere is going to therapy and that is because I think to understand that you're not well is a good step but to reflect on your habits behaviors what created them and how to acknowledge them and be aware of them. Because sometimes it's not about something that needs dealing with or fixing, but it's to understand your behavior, what kind of um, emotional reactions you might have to your work or to mm. the partner or to your friends and what's that coming from and how can you actually acknowledge it and deal with it. And I think that is something that I think I'm good at, but I think therapy will help. A million wow. times, yeah. So that's one thing I'm committed to. Uh, so can I ask culturally? Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> how is that accepted? It's generally speaking, it's not. Yes. Um, and I, when I was working in an organization that worked with former refugees, I've always insisted that former refugees, their first way into dealing with trauma should not be therapy, because we come from communal societies where our therapy is in group sharing. Yes. And I think yes. it comes in a way where you're hanging out with your neighbors or your friends and they will share a story because everyone is aware of the story. And by sharing the story, then your neighbors and friends understand that you are in a phase where you're vulnerable and you're in need. And that's where they will step in without you asking. Mm. And in stepping in, they might take care of your children for you. Mm. They might um, assist you with food if you're struggling financially. And there's so many ways they could do that. And that helps you deal with that traumatic phase or sad phase or difficult one to overcome it. Therapy comes in a good way where I think we need to acknowledge it more in a way that it allows you to understand that process rather than it just happening naturally because of the support you have. It allows you to, okay, like, this is where I'm at. This is what I need to do. In the Middle East, unfortunately, mental health is something that is still not mm. as understood. Um, and I had to do the same with my family where 
this year I was going through the journey of finding out if I have ADHD or not. And uh, when I had that first appointment, even before I went, I spoke to my family and I was like, this is a possibility. And immediately they thought that I was sick and that something was happening. And it's not because um, of a bad thing, but to them, the word mental health is immediately associated with being highly medicated or yes. being lacking something rather than it's just a different way of functioning. So, yeah. I really need to behave to you for, um, for going to therapy. I, no. I'm not going oh, yet, but, I, but I've also, want. and this is where I talked about the privilege. I've been looking into finding one yeah. for the last four months. Yes. And most of the ones I've called who charge a lot of money. So mm. like if you don't have the resources, you want to even be yes. able to access them are either full or they're not answering. And it's, it's almost like being lucky to be welcomed by one rather than actually going through a process of finding the right one. People just find one and they like latch on to them, even though they might not be the right therapist for them. Yes. But yeah. Because so. there's a shortage. I started yesterday. Oh, okay. We'll, we'll talk about that. Yeah. But yeah, I just, I think that um, it's always interesting. Uh, we had Codrian, was it Codrian? on the previous series and it's so interesting listening to um, people who have immigrated from from other countries and come here because their journey is sometimes just so mind-blowing and um, yours is different again you know so just it is Aotearoa home now for you it is now I just got my permanent residency while I was away um but I completely agree and I'm, I'm very happy and privileged and just like it's it's a place that I chose rather than mm. which for many migrants and sometimes from refugees or asylum seekers, they end up in a place that took them. So yes. I'm, I'm privileged in a way that I chose to be here wow. and I left the US. But in saying this also and saying I am privileged, I left home the first time when I was 17. I am 31 now and last two years when I got my residency was the first time since, so since I was 17, so that's what, 23 years ago, that I did not have to apply for a visa every year with the risk of getting rejected and having to leave the country, having to drop my degrees, scholarships, and all of it. So this is technically the first two years of visa stress-free life. Wow, yeah, so, stability. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and these are the things we don't think about. Yeah. These yeah. are things that we take for granted. 100%. And I think well-being is financial security. It's yes. stability. It's um, And it's not immediate. Like financial security and stability, it's something that is passed from one generation to another. And in New Zealand, colonization has had a huge effect where Maori had to migrate quite a lot or move around a lot because they had to rely on cheap rent, cheap housing. Mm. And with increase in inflation, it meant they had to move and move and move, which means schools being changed for their children, which has, there's research that shows that the more you switch neighborhoods, the more you, like, you have less of a community, you're less likely to succeed, you're less likely to obtain degrees. So it's, yes, we have less stability and financial resourcing and all of it, but it's a result of something that's happened three years, 300 years ago. Mm -hmm. And we're not acknowledging that fault. Mm -hmm. um, so it's, 
yes, this is where we are now, but someone is at fault and someone needs to be answering to that. And it's not just the way that our communities ended up in these spaces. Yeah. I find it interesting because I feel like immigrants are more open to our story in terms of the indigenous story than New Zealanders. I came on a Rotary scholarship and after the um, March 15th terrorist attack, I was asked by my club to go and speak to them about how to be and by other like organizations on how to be more welcoming to migrants and former refugees because they were the most affected, obviously, by the terrorist attack. And my answer to them, which shocked a lot of the Rotarians, who I love dearly, was if you're asking me this question and I answer it to you now, in 10 years, we'll be in the same space and we'll have to answer the same question again. The answer for me is if you treat Maori right and take that right, and if you go to a marae, and some of them were in their 70s, 60s, who have never been, and you actually acknowledge that bicultural lifestyle that you're supposed to have here, naturally, you'll be treating former refugees and migrants well. But if you only choose to treat this group right now, it just means it's an emotional act that's a result of something that happened in a big event, and you're reacting to that, and in five years, we'll have the same conversation again, because we haven't fixed the core issue. So I think that's why we relate, because we acknowledge that all of these are reactionary acts rather than genuine acts of wanting to change and wanting to embrace a different... Mm -hmm. um, if you ever want a Maori wife, let me know. I'm an auntie of many. <laughs> oh, oh, sorry. I'm oh boy. I'm not no, sure. No. <laughs> sorry, made that assumption. But well, I'm sure I could dial a few yeah. aunties. <laughs> uh, well, Zaka, thank you for joining us today. Uh, thank you for sharing just really openly about your own journey for well-being and hauora and. Uh, the journey that you're on because it's no finite period right you don't start here and then you get to this point and then it's everything's all great it's like a it's a it's a lifelong journey to um to work on your haora all the time mm. constantly prioritize it and great to hear that that's your focus and i know tuihana's particularly um appreciated you joining us today yes. and some of your sharing that she's really resonated with as well Yes, you're the second uh, gentleman to come into the space today and there's just been a vibe. I'm not quite sure what's going on today, but um, it's been, yeah, just want to meet you. Uh, aroha. Many thanks of love for uh, your whakaro and your, your korero today. And, um, and actually, I need to acknowledge the, uh, your support of us as an Indigenous people of Aotearoa. So... Um, you know, probably way under under emphasizing that, but it's just been such a part of this has been just an enlightenment of uh, at the amazing amount of Tiriti partners that there are out there supporting. Right. So right. thank you. Thank you, and I really appreciate you saying that, and I think it's very kind. Um, but I look at it from a way of it's my responsibility now that I'm here, and I think that's how we should look at it until things are good and mm. then it's that kindness that takes over yeah. but it's been a great space thank you I'll probably work with you tomorrow or so but <laughs> yeah it's, it's been great to share this Kira, thank you for being with us you've been listening to a Tato Tato podcast with Tuihana and Rochelle proudly brought to you 
by Huie Community Aotearoa, Volunteering New Zealand, Centre for Social Impact and Wu Wellbeing. Tēnā koutou, tēnā rātātou katoa.